Warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Velo is here, and it's the modern take on nicotine. They're nicotine pouches that are hassle-free, so you're free to do it all. Whether you're hitting happy hour or hitting the slopes, home brewing to house partying, cliff jumping or concert going, whatever the situation, Velo's ready. Visit Velo.com now to find your retailer. Website restricted to age 21 plus tobacco consumers. Underage sale prohibited. Infirmary Media. People engage in stop for tooling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Tooling decades. Who culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Tooling decades. Broadcasting from the Infirmary Media Studios. It's the adult-only retro game show where the 80s and 90s do battle because it's your history. We just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and on this episode, I will see if I can keep my winning streak alive as I compete with the science of 1998. And my opponent this week will be this man. Happy New Year, everybody. My name's Joe Finley from the Miscast Commentary. Hold on, this is all broken. Hey guys, it's Joe Finley here from Miscast Commentary. It is great to be back for the new year. Happy New Year all. I am taking on the science of 1981, and no, none of it is cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So let me introduce to you tonight's judge. He's back, one of our loyal listeners and trivia masterminds. It's Judge Eric Cluley. Thanks for having me back. It's a third show, third time's the charm. It should be wonderful. Alrighty. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And the winning decade shall be decided by the highest overall score after all five rounds. Now, duelers, I'm not sure if I was blinded by the light or she blinded me with science, but thanks to Johnny Nash, I can see clearly now. So finally, we can play more. Dueling Decades. All right, let's go down to Judge Eric Cluley for the official toss-off. All right, so for tonight, I have the 1996 Legends of Zelda uh, Ocarina of Time. We'll call the front plate heads, back plate tails. How dare you flip that? (laughs) (laughs) Who's calling it? All right, Joe, you have the honors. Go ahead and call it. All right, face up, so heads it is. It is tails. (sighs) Oh, all right. I take control of the board here on this science battle. Now, Joe and I talked it out ahead of time. We're including science and science fiction because a lot of science fictions, there's some science based in there, right? (laughs) Sure. Some of it's wrong science, but, you know, mm-hmm. science nonetheless. Yeah. All right. So first category, you know what? Let's go with music. Okay. I'm going to open up with some music. All right, guys. So for my first pick, 
I am going to go with an album released February 22nd, 1998. And it is the seventh studio album by this artist. It is Madonna who released the album Ray of Light. Now, if you look at Ray of Light's lyrics, there's a lot of uh, scientific light references in there. Like, you know, I think she's talking about some crepuscular rays, perhaps. What's really nice about this album is it did incorporate electronica music for the first time. It has been credited for bringing electronic music into global pop culture. Um, the Los Angeles Times noted, aside from its occasional breakthroughs, such as Fat Boy Slim's, electronic music really wasn't mainstream until Madonna came out with Ray of Light. Now, another interesting science fiction tidbit about this album, you're like, how is Madonna connected to science? Well, the opening track and the third track on the album, the title was actually inspired by J.B. Ballard's post-apocalyptic science fiction novel, the Drowned World. I never would have known this about a Madonna album, but doing research for this episode, you find out these crazy things. So Madonna's Ray of Light album, it really helped introduce electronic music into the mainstream, had some songs based on a science fiction novel. At the 40, 41st Annual Grammy Awards, Ray of Light received four awards out of six nominations. Uh, it won Best Pop Album, Best Recording Package, and was nominated for Album of the Year. So that is my first selection, Madonna's Ray of Light. Had some pretty good singles off of it. Not my personal favorite Madonna songs, but uh, it did give us Frozen and, of course, Ray of Light and the science fiction song Drown World Substitute for Love. My second musical selection, you know, I'm thinking about science and science fiction. You know, how can we find something in music that relates to that? So how about something from another dimension or something that's planetary or maybe intergalactic planetary? Another dimension, another dimension. <laughs> All right, so I give you <laughs> Intergalactic by the Beastie Boys from their fifth studio album, Hello Nasty. Uh, it was released July 14th, 1998, and it sold 681,000 copies in its very first week, debuting at number one on the Billboard 200 album charts. The album won two awards at the 1999 Grammys for Best Alternative Music Album and Best Rap Performance. Uh, and that was all propelled by the hit single, Intergalactic. Now, the song itself, uh, not a lot of lyrics in the song. I think I went through all of the lyrics in the song. If you've seen the music video, it is based upon a lot of what Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is based upon, and that's a lot of the, the uh, kaiju films from Japan. So it kind of incorporates a lot of that culture, which is science fiction-y. So, yeah, it might be a stretch a little bit, but that's what I got for the music round. Ray of Light and Intergalactic from 1998. All right, Joe, over to you. All right. Well, I'm going to take this in a very uh, soundtracky direction. And the first one I'm going to talk about is a little bit of uh, Home, a Canadian film, and its soundtrack quite popular. I'm going to talk about Heavy Metal, the soundtrack. Oh. 
<laughs> and it was released in July of 1981, featured original songs by Don Felder from the Eagles, Journey, Devo, Blue Oyster Cult, Cheap Trick, Nazareth, and Grand Funk Railroad. It also includes songs from Black Sabbath with, during the Ronnie James Dio era and Stevie Nicks. Uh, both of those songs, I believe, appeared on this album before it appeared on their own albums later on in the year. Uh, the album itself was number 12 on the Billboard charts, and Felder's heavy metal in parentheses, Take It A Ride, was number five on the rock charts. Um, this is a very uh, different type of animated film. It is a Canadian picture. Uh, lots of different stars in this movie. Uh, John Candy is in this. Uh, <laughs> like, If you can freaking believe that, right? Uh, no, it's fantastic. And every time I think of heavy metal, the first thing that pops in my brain is John Candy mm -hmm. saying, there was no way I was going to rock around this place with my dork hanging out. <laughs> And other SCTV alums like Eugene Levy and Joe Flaherty are in it. Like it's it it was a happening. It is a uh, it was a weird one because I remember being young and wanting to see it, and my parents and stuff going, "No, I don't think you're ready for that." And I, me not understanding how I couldn't be ready for a cartoon until I saw <laughs> it, and I was like, "Oh, I agree." Um, so yeah, this was a big uh, sci-fi fantasy style movie with a lot of really good artists and very rare that so many of the artists created songs specifically for the album. So that yeah. was my very first one. My second one, also a soundtrack, but it's also a studio album of one band. It is the ninth studio album from Queen. It is the soundtrack for Flash Gordon. Ooh. The original soundtrack in the UK was released in December of 1980, but in the US and Canada, it was released in February of 1981. And this soundtrack, it made it to number 23 on the Billboard charts. Only the theme song was ever released as a single. Every single song on, the, on it, uh, both score and songs with lyrics, were all written by the band. And it was written and recorded during their tour from their previous album. So... Uh, very interesting stuff there. Also, uh, the producer, Dino De Laurentiis, was not aware of who the Queen was. In fact, asked who the Queens were. <laughs> to his credit, gave them total carte blanche. As long as the music was complimentary to the movie, they could do absolutely whatever they want. The album features a lot of worked-in dialogue and bits from the actual movie itself. The single version of the Flash Gordon theme removed all of the dialogue. Uh, but it has all been restored uh, several times it's been re-released for uh, Queen's 40th anniversary, for example. Uh, and yeah, so that is my second one. So we've got Queen's ninth studio album, which was a movie soundtrack. And the first soundtrack they did, they also did Highlander a little while later. And Heavy Metal. All righty. Let's toss it down to Judge Eric Cluley for the judgment for the music round. All right. Well, you both should be proud of the work you did. Um... We didn't do any work. They wrote the songs. <laughs> These were uh, those four very good uh, choices, Mark. When she came out with a uh, intergalactic, I was kind of like, "Uh oh, that's gonna be tough to beat." But uh, heavy metal and and uh, Flash Gordon soundtrack, I think I gotta go with eighty one on this. Yeah, yeah, both of those are solid, man. I love yeah. the heavy metal soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, it's no Beastie Boys album, no. but you know, <laughs> I get, hey, I mean, those are just two like amazing albums right there. And I give full credit to the connections. Who doesn't love Flash Gordon? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, you have control of the board. What category would you like next? All right. I think we're going to have to go with TV. 
we'll flip around the channels in the year of my birth. I forgot to mention that earlier. I was born this year, so I mean, it should it should already win. Oh no! Yeah. See, as soon as you mentioned you were, we know you and your birthdays. Any <laughs> listener to this show knows your track record with birthdays. So. Sorry, duelers. Prepare yourself for sad news. <laughs> but we're in TV right now, and we're and we've got some. Ha- we have happy stuff right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's, well, happy is subjective, but we'll figure it out. You might, <laughs> you might be, you might be a mess. It's not, it's not my problem. Go get help. But uh, <laughs> so I'm going to start with January 5th, 1981. So we're just squeaking in at the beginning of the year. Um, I want to talk about BBC for a minute. They did something that was believed to be unfilmable at the time. It had been a radio play that the BBC had done years, uh, three years before, but they were bold enough to try and make this. Uh, BBC produced the very first screen adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm. So... It was a six-part miniseries. It was considered a very bold choice. They actually hired almost exclusively the actors from the BBC radio series. It ended up winning uh, five awards, including uh, three BAFTA awards, which is a gigantic deal in the UK. Um, yeah, and this uh, was so popular between this and the radio play, so popular uh, only a handful of years ago, I believe it was 2011, they did a, oh, that seems so much further away now that it's 2020. It seems like it might as well have been like, uh, but. I feel like 1998 was a couple of years ago, so. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. Uh, actually, I, I had read today, uh, somebody wrote 2050 is just as far away as 1990. And then I put my mouth around my uh, shotgun and- exhaust pipe for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so this stuff being so popular, they did a revival live record uh, radio play with the original cast uh, on stage for the BBC. Uh, it was a pretty big deal for them. It was ends up being a big deal because the f- film finally gets made. Uh, you know, 20 years later, almost. Yeah, so that's it. BBC's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the first time it ever made it on screen. Wow, fantastic pick, man. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of that BBC series, actually. Mm-hmm. I actually, as much as I like the newer version of the film, it's nothing compared to the BBC version. There's so much more story that they left out of the new version. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if you can get past the... uh high school play production values of the BBC play version. It's a uh, well worth the yeah. watch just for the extra story you get. If you're a fan of the books. So <laughs> great pick hitchhiker's guide. I've never seen Thank it. you so much. And I gotta be honest, like that praise, like it makes me feel amazing. Like, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free <laughs> because March 18th, 1981 was the debut of that song I just sang, which was the B-Wall didn't <laughs> sing, but spoke. And it was the debut of The Greatest American Hero. Nice. It featured William Cat, who was the boyfriend in Carrie, as the main character, who was a high school teacher who gets an alien suit. Very uh, Green Lantern-ish as I'm like researching it and reading up on it. I didn't see a lot of it because it happened, you know, when I was zero. And um, But yeah, he gets an alien suit and uh, he's alongside an FBI agent at the time and he has to 
you know, stop the bad guys. Uh, so yeah, featuring William Cat, as I said, Robert Culp as the agent working by his side, and also had early performances by Michael Pere of Streets of Fire and some billion other movies that were straight to video fame. Uh, and then has a lot of early guest spots for actor, actors like Bob Saget, Danny Glover, uh, Tony Cox, Mr. Belding himself, Dennis Haskins was on this pre uh, <laughs> Saved by the Bell, William Zabka, the real Karate Kid, and was the second ever acting job for Andre the Giant. Wow. The movie itself won four Emmys, and its theme song, to my knowledge, for a TV theme song, this is the only time it's ever happened, it made it to number two on the Billboard charts. Wow. So, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Greatest American Hero, have at it. Can't go wrong with both of those picks. <laughs> Slightly pandering, though, because any listeners to this show, if we have a lot of OG listeners to Dueling Decades, they'll know back on the in the poop culture days, we had William Cat on the show. He's a good friend of the program, so yeah. For my television picks, I got some sad news. See, I have the sad news for That's TV. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, because we got the end of two great science shows that ended in 1998. So my first one is a is a remake. Not of a TV show, though. It's a remake of a movie. I give you the 1994 launching and ending in 1998 USA hit TV show, Weird Science. I'm sure you guys all remember this. Of course, it is the remake of the John Hughes classic. Now, what's interesting about this version of the storyline is Kelly LeBrock was actually offered to reprise her role in this TV series. She turned it down. So, of course, they went on to cast Vanessa Angel, who, all right, I'm going to say something a little controversial on this show. So if you don't think you can handle it, hit the uh, skip ahead 15 seconds thing. I got a hot take. <laughs> I think Vanessa Angel is better looking than Kelly LeBrock, and she's a better Lisa. That's just my opinion, duelers. Don't jump on me, but... I don't wholly disagree with that. You know, everybody's all about Kelly LeBrock. I actually prefer Vanessa Angel. Right now, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Good call on that one, Eric. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the original movie, of course, is way better than the TV show, but the TV show was great. Uh, so if anybody who's uh, big fans of Weird Science and you've never checked out this TV show... Please go check it out. Weird Science, uh, originally aired on the USA Network, came to an end, unfortunately, on July 25th, 1998. My second piece of very sad news I hate to report uh, is uh, the ending and the cancellation of a show that won 26 awards, over 19 Emmy Awards. When you talk about science and television, one name comes to mind, ladies and gentlemen. And that's Bill Nye. And in 1998, unfortunately, we saw the end of the original run of Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, originally on the Disney Channel. This show was just monumental. Now, it's really an 80s versus 90s thing. If you grew up in the 80s, you were a Mr. Wizard type of kid. If you grew up in the 90s, you were a Bill Nye type of guy. Same type of uh, content there. You know, despite a lot of rumors, this show was actually not canceled because he did an episode on evolution. There was an episode on evolution, but there was several seasons after that. So that's just a myth. But yeah, Bill Nye, the science guy, I mean, don't really have to say too much about it because I know everybody grew up watching this show. So Bill Nye, the science guy in Weird Science. 
Definitely check out Weird Science if you haven't, mm-hmm. but I know you all have checked out Bill Nye the Science Guy, and that sounds really weird. Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill, Bill. <laughs> all right, so those are my two movie picks. Eric Cluley, what is your verdict for the television round? All right, so Mark, your shows, this was their farewell season years? Both shows ended in 1998 that was they were canceled they were done they came to the end of the road unfortunately how long did they run in 98 before they were canceled uh weird science went four years but uh bill nye the science guy went from 93 to 98 but that was only the first incarnation of the show it's come back a few times since no i just mean so. like did they have like an episode in january and that was it or they ran the whole year and then it was- they had a full season and then it ended okay. the, the season ended in july Okay. Season 5, episode 18 of Weird Science is the final one, called WS4. It's when Lisa zaps up an alien race to erase the hate at a high school, and then they decide to attack the high school instead. So, yeah. Uh, that tracks. Um, all right. Uh, I think the greatest American hero win- wins it out for uh, slightly edges it out. I'm going to go with 81 again. Whoa, Joe. Whew. Jumps out to an early two to nothing lead. I don't. I think my winning streak at this point is uh, what do the French say? Fucked. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you still got two point rounds. Yeah. All right. So one one point round left. Joe, you maintain control of the board. Where All would right. you like to go next, man? How oh, I'm gonna stick this one right in the middle. I'm gonna go news. I'm going to defer to our judge. Do you want the good news first or the bad news? Well, we are talking to you, so I want the bad. all right we are going to do the bad news first and the reason i said that this is going to make you laugh uh mark i'm going to read our text conversation right at the end of delivering this news okay (laughs) okay so june 5th 1981 five men in los angeles go to the hospital and they get diagnosed with a very specific type of pneumonia it's only ever present in people with weakened immune systems They didn't know what it was that was causing, basically the pneumonia was a symptom of the disease. They didn't know what it was, so they called it gay-related immune deficiency. I'm not making this up. This is not a hate crime. So it was GRID, as it was called. Uh, Later on, the following year, it was called Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome, or AIDS. These were the five people, the first five people ever diagnosed with AIDS on the planet. It doesn't mean they were the first to get it. They were the first diagnosed. Did Walker tell them about it? (laughs) (laughs) This I don't know. Uh, But the reason that I thought that this was funny, not because it's AIDS, because I'm going to read exactly what we were discussing when I get the thing. So, Mark, okay, cool. So it's 1981 versus 1988 science. You have 1981. I say, cool, my birth year. Uh, Are we counting science fiction? Yeah, we're counting science fiction. You say, oh no, your birth year, that's bad and all bad news. My response, this just in, AIDS started. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) And you hadn't even done the research yet. (laughs) I hadn't done the research yet. I knew it was around that time. I did not know for certain that it was 1981. But yes, indeed, Los Angeles discovers five men, uh, all all of whom were homosexual, which is why they called it gay-related immune deficiency. Also, good Lord, like, it was still a time in the 80s. I know I've seen Revenge of the Nerds, and that answers a lot of my questions about what people thought about in the 80s, but... It was 84, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, and I was, yeah. but it's just, it blew my mind that that was even a thing. I was, I, yes. I had to research it on multiple sources just to make sure that that wasn't just something people were calling it. 
It was yeah, a medical I, term. <laughs> See, I knew it was 81. And yeah. I just thought you gave one of your picks away. I'm like, oh, great. I'm fucked on this round. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, oh God, I did that. And I, I just like, I was head in hands when I, when I saw that. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. And I thought the same thing. I just gave away one of my picks. That's hilarious. All right, man. What do you got for your second one? All right. So this is actually very good news. This is actually related to the space program. I want to talk about Commander uh, John Young, who is an Apollo astronaut, a Mercury astronaut, a Gemini astronaut. And he was only one of three men ever to have been to the moon twice. He had gone for Apollo, uh, Apollo 10, and then he was the commander on Apollo 16 and walked on the moon. Uh, he also went with a rookie astronaut pilot, Robert Crippen. Uh, this launch actually occurred on the 20th anniversary of the first man in space when Yuri Gargarin went to space. And as of this date, it is the only NASA aircraft whose maiden voyage was actually flown by man. This was the first ever flight of the space shuttle Columbia in, in April 12th. So uh, this was actually considered at the time and still to be NASA's boldest test flight ever. Like I said, they have never, ever put a man behind the stick the first time they put a they put a ship in space. And they did it with this, with the trust of their most experienced astronaut. He was the last member of the Apollo program still in the, in NASA. And they had a rookie alongside him who had been working on Skylab and all these other things. And they put it out there. They were in space for two days testing, you know, uh, about 113 different functions in orbit. Originally, they had asked to only do an abort test with John Young, where they were going to launch into the into the uh, stratosphere. They were going to abort the mission. He, they were going to separate from the rocket and then land the shuttle safely on the ground. And John Young fought vehemently against it and ended up getting his way because if they felt if they couldn't trust an Apollo, a man who walked on the moon, who could they trust? So they go with that. And then just a little side note on this. This was actually the inspiration for the Rush song Countdown. And if you look in their liner notes for that specific album where the, where the song appears, you will see them thank the astronauts and, and NASA for that song. Good tie-in. So AIDS and Space Shuttle Columbia. Good news and bad news, baby. Wow. All right. So for my news, you know, I'm going to try to keep this a little brief because it gets a little technical here when we get into the news round for 1998. But November 20th, 1998, Zarya, the first module of the International Space Station, is launched. Now, Zarya is the first module of the ISS. It was launched on an autonomous Russian proton rocket. Now, what it did is it provided propulsion, altitude control, communications, electrical power, but it lacked long-term support functions. So, and then two weeks later... NASA module Unity was launched aboard the space shuttle flight STS-88, and that attached to Zarya. Now, both of those units are still in orbit today, and they are main parts of the International Space Station still to this day. They were up there two years before people started living on in the International Space Station, but people have been up there for like 21 years at this point. So November 20th, 1988, the first pieces of the International Space Station are launched into space and put into orbit. My second news story was named the breakthrough of the year for 1998 by Science Magazine. It is called the Supernova Cosmology Project. 
the Supernova Cosmology Project was one of two research teams that determined the likelihood of the accelerating universe. Uh, so basically what that boils down to is uh, this research group and another research group teamed together to find out the answer to the question if the universe is either expanding or contracting. And if it is expanding, how slowly is it expanding? But in January of 1998, the Supernova Cosmology Project presented evidence that the expansion of the universe is not slowing at all. In reality, it's accelerating. And by doing this, that actually proves a dismissed theory of Einstein's, uh, his cosmological constant theory. So yeah, this was a huge thing. It basically, we found out that the universe is rapidly expanding. How they did that? You need a light source to measure distance and time and space. So they used La Supernovas or La Supernovas. They're exploding stars. They only happen once every couple of thousand years. It's real technical. Go check it out, Duelers. The Supernova Cosmology Project. I am super excited that I got through that without calling it the Supernova Cosmetology Project. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I got for the news round. Two huge scientific breakthrough advancements, launch of the International Space Station and the Supernova Cosmetology Project. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Down to Judge Eric Cluley for the ruling for the news round. All right. Uh, obviously, AIDS is like a huge deal. And uh, the first flight shuttle, that's also pretty cool. Um, but believe it or not, I'm actually going to give this one the mark for 98 because I just feel both of his stories are much more science-y. Oh, I thought you were going to say just because you feel bad at this point. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, that too. No, I just uh, – the Zarya and the uh, – it's just the theme is science. Mm -hmm. You know, while technically diagnosing AIDS is done through yeah. scientific means, I think uh, the space stuff outweighs that. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean AIDS yeah. is only just a disease on one planet. We're talking about the universe here. Yes. Yeah. I could give somebody AIDS on another planet. You just wait. <laughs> and, and what what mission number was was your thing again? Uh, STS eighty eight. You said. Yep. Oh, mine was just STS one. Just oh, saying. Oh well, one. Jeez. <laughs> I know it's a smaller number. That's what's going to be on Joe's tombstone here. Here lies Joe Finley, the first man to spread AIDS intergalactically. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And interdimensionally. <laughs> and interdimensionally. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm getting them both. So I'm going to give myself AIDS in another dimension where I don't already have He's it. He's just going to stuff it down your wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. I got control of the round here. We got movies left. Let's see. What do we got? Movies and hot products. You know what? Let's go to the movies round. So my first movie came out in 1998, of course. And it's a, a team of drillers is sent into an asteroid that it's on its way to strike Earth. And to split it into two parts, they fly safely past the planet, completely ignoring Newton's first law of motion. An object will remain at rest or in uniform motion unless acted upon by an external force. So the movie, of course, I'm talking about is 1998's Armageddon. The science masterpiece, of course, where it proves every scientific theory completely wrong <laughs> this is the movie by explosion mastermind michael bay 
Uh, of course, it stars Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Will Patton, Steve Buscemi, Owen Wilson, Michael Clark Duncan, Keith David, and the list goes on and on. What an ensemble cast on this movie. Uh, not my favorite science fiction film, to be honest. But you know what? This movie made a butt ton of money. So obviously somebody likes it. Uh, though the film was released to mostly positive reviews... It did become the highest grossing film of 1998 worldwide. So somebody was watching it. Uh, it was released on July 1st, 1998 in 3,127 theaters across the United States. It ranked first at the box office opening weekend gross of $36 million, worldwide gross of $553.7 million. Other than that, I don't know if there's anything else I can say that you people don't already know about Armageddon because it's on TBS and TNT every five minutes. So that's my first pick, Armageddon, coming out July 1st, 1998. Uh, my second film is, you know, we're going to have to go back to some sad news. Uh, this is uh, another tragic story. Uh, it's about a, a science lab that actually got a contract from the FDA to do research on medical marijuana to test the potency and if it could be used to treat illnesses. At that time, there was a janitor who worked there whose friend actually got arrested uh, because he went on this like really crazy uh, munchies run one night after they got high. So they had to come up with a million dollars. So he started stealing the marijuana from the lab. Of course, I am talking about Half-Baked, released in 1998 with Dave Chappelle, Jim Brewer. Oh, this movie's fantastic. You know, when you think of science in 1998, nothing says science more than Half-Baked. If it wasn't for that scientist in that lab, Kenny would still be in prison today, man. Uh, so that's what I got from my two movies, Armageddon and Half-Baked. <sighs> All right, Joe Finley. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to start with a uh, very uh, popular fan favorite sci-fi movie from 1981. It was released on July 10th. A John Carpenter hit. And I give you Escape from New York. Ah. A movie about New York being turned into a prison. Which, you know, say say what you will about about all that. It starred Kurt Russell as the popular character Snake Plissken alongside uh, characters, actors like Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgnine, a Carpenter favorite, Donald Pleasance, Isaac Hayes, and an uncredited voice job by Jamie Lee Curtis, who narrates the opening text. And yeah, this was a very big one for John Carpenter. It was not a huge commercial success, but it rose to a cult favorite. Over the years, it did garner a sequel, which was Escape from L.A., and was supposed to actually garner more sequels, but the failure of Escape from L.A. Uh, stopped that. Yeah, so John Carpenter kind of at his, you know, his early days at his best. So that is Escape from New York. My second one is about a science we haven't discussed we haven't discussed very much today and a, and a scientist who studies something we haven't discussed a lot about today uh archaeology ah, i want yeah. to talk about dr henry jones aka indiana jones <laughs> and raiders of the lost ark ooh Raiders of the Lost Ark, a Steven Spielberg film uh written and produ well uh, produced by 
George Lucas, written by Lawrence Kasdan, features Harrison Ford hitting another iconic role in his early career. Also features Karen Allen, John Reese davies uh, Little note, my son's name actually is derived from John Reese davies His name is Reese. Uh, also, Alfred Molina. The movie was nominated for nine Oscars, and it won four. It was the highest-grossing movie of uh, of the year. It made $384 million. It was so far ahead of second place. It was about 65% ahead of second place, and it almost doubled the take for third place that year. It is one of the biggest movie franchises of all time. It is on every list of you know, the movies you have to see. It's in the AFI Top 100. It's all over the place. You know what it's not, though, Joe? What? what? Half-baked. <laughs> it's not half-baked. It's also not The Matrix. Well, yeah, still no, but to- that came out in 1999. Oh, it did? I thought it was 98. No, okay. 99, man. Oh, because I, I thought about... Oh, either way. Okay, that's great. That that saves me that much more. Uh, but, but yeah, and, and this movie also did because I know some people might go, hey, that's not really a science fiction. And you're just saying, oh, well, he's a scientist, whatever. He says he's a scientist, too, in it. And it even won the Saturn Award for Best Film, and the Saturn Award covers the best in fantasy and sci-fi and all that good stuff, beating actually my previously named movie, Escape from New York, which was also nominated. It also won Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, Best Writing, Best Music, Best Special Effects. So it was kind of a big deal that year. Uh, So yeah, I give you Escape from New York, a cult classic, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the best movies of all time. All right, over to Judge Eric Cluley for the Judgment for the Movies round. Our first two-point round. One question. How many uh, Oscars did Half-Baked get? Uh, 420. All right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That took me so long to get it. (laughs) Uh, I I mean, I think this one's pretty clear. I think everybody out there is going to agree. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my all-time favorite movies uh, and the world's, so... Uh, we're going to have to go with 81 on this. Oh, it was a great year to be alive. All right, Joe Finley, you got the last round. Would you like to go first or would you like to defer now that you've completely obliterated me? <laughs> I'm going to defer. All right. Now, for my hot products, I actually found two hot products that I think all of the listeners of the show actually are going to have in their homes. So that's kind of what I went on. And then I had to find products that were science-based. So August 15th, 1998, Apple releases the iMac. The marketing and sales success of the iMac G3 is contributed to Apple's turnaround from financial ruin in the 1990s, and it completely revitalized the Apple brand. The company announced the iMac on May 6th, 1998, and began shipping the iMac G3 on August 15th, 1998. Now, you guys remember these computers. They were the ones that looked like pieces of candy. They were plastic. (laughs) They came in blue, teal, green, orange. They didn't have a floppy drive on them. That was revolutionary. They figured at that time, readable and writable CDs were the way to go, so they ditched the floppy drive. They originally sold for about 1200 bucks. You could get some of the lower-end ones for about 1000 I remember every school in the state I grew up in just filled with iMacs, computer labs everywhere. Uh, through 2004, Apple reported total annual sales of iMacs separately. So we got to take a look at those numbers a little differently. So taking a look at those numbers, 98 through 2004, they moved 8.7 million units of IMAX. That's a ton of computers. 
Uh, after that, they kind of merged iMac sales along with desktop sales, but iMac still accounted for about 59% of total desktop sales. So yeah, that's my first pick is the iMac. I mean, that was a huge computer. You guys remember that? It looked like a Tide Pod with a screen. Yes, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. It did. And it's Steve Jobs came out and he said that the back of our computer looks better than the front of the computer of most other of all their competitors. So, I mean, that was kind of the, the marketing thing is it was flashy. They totally redid the style of the keyboard and the mouse. It was in that plasticky substance. I don't even know what it was called. Wasn't but. that uh, like Steve Jobs first? Like he just got back to the company and he launched that? Yeah, that was his first big move once he came back. And he was still had that intern label at the time, which we've yeah. talked about previously on this show. And it was just really a big move for them to totally turn around that company. And of course, after that, we saw all the other i products from Apple. So yeah, that's my first one, the iMac. All right, my second hot product in 1998, the Food and Drug Administration approves Viagra for use for treatment for erectile dysfunction. It is the very first pill to be approved for this condition in the United States. Uh, this drug was a runaway success uh, since the FDA approved it on March 27th, 1998. In its very first quarter alone, Viagra brought in $400 million in revenue for Pfizer and now the drug is at $1.8 billion in annual global sales. They, they pulled in a cool $2 billion in sales by 2008 alone. Uh, it has some of the fastest prescription uptakes and sales of gross of any medication ever. According to GoodRx, actually 65% of ED prescriptions filled from December 1st, 2018 to January 31st, 2019 refer Viagra or its generic version. So still a very topical drug. I'm sure all of our listeners have it in their home today. Uh, an estimated one in 10 men are actually affected by erectile dysfunction or ED. According to the Cleveland Clinic, Viagra was the first non-invasive treatment for this. But unfortunately, Pfizer lost exclusive rights to the drug in December of 2017. Uh, and when that happened, a slew of generics entered the market, such as our good friends Blue Chew, uh, former sponsors of the program here. But uh, 1998, we saw the introduction of Pfizer's breakthrough drug, Viagra, and the iMac. Both of those kind of get you hard. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I got for hot products. Joe, over to you. All right. Well, you talked about your product, which brought Apple back from the depths. I'm going to talk about the product that put it there. <laughs> oh, no. April 24th, 1981, IBM and Microsoft team up to release the IBM 5150, also known as the personal computer, or as some might know it today, the PC, with the debut of MS-DOS 1.0 as its operating system on the inside. It was a beige box that had 16 kilobytes of memory, and it was priced at $1,565 1981 money, which is about $4,400 today. <laughs> and... In a time when people were not buying computers unless they were, you know, little more than hobbyists, pretty much, it sold 200,000 units within the first year and over a million by the end of 1983. It surpassed Apple 
the Apple II as the top-selling computer on the planet. And with its IBM compatibility, which became a big thing, there was a quote that said, people don't even ask anymore if something if software is good or bad, just if it's IBM compatible. And that basically wiped out all of the excess competition with the exception of Apple, which just kind of held on uh, during this period. So yeah, IBM and Microsoft debut the IBM 5150. And that price too, that 1565, that was a bare bones price. That was without a disk drive. That was without peripherals. That was just the computer. Wow. That was that. And... As we're all right now, I don't think any of us are doing this on an Apple. We're all doing this on a PC. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, good Good for me. And, uh, I go to the next one, and the next one we stay into the computer sciences, and we move over to video games. I'm going to take you to Japan, where a young man who had never directed a game before... Uh, his name was Shigeru Miyamoto, and his parent and his bosses at Nintendo asked him to fix a game... That was not uh, being received very well, and he directs the de- the redevelopment of this game, and it gets released, and the game was called Donkey Kong. This arcade machine is one of the most popular video games of all time. It was the high, it is the fourth highest selling arcade game of all time behind Pac-Man, Space Invaders, and Street Fighter II. It was Nintendo's foot in the door in U.S. gaming. It was Shigeru Miyamoto's first ever game that he was in charge of. He had worked on other games, but he had never been the director of one. And this led him to help Nintendo become the top of the video game industry and helped develop what we call platform gaming. This was one of the biggest forays into that genre and revolutionized it. Uh, It also featured... Some other characters, in addition to Donkey Kong, he was holding a woman named Pauline Hostage, whose boyfriend had to rescue her. His name back in the day was Jumpman. He was later renamed Mario. This was the first appearance of Mario in any Nintendo game. I don't know. I don't have much more to say about that, other than it was also the subject of a very popular documentary called The King of Kong, which a bunch of uh, video game experts were chasing the record to this amazing game. Again, you keep pulling out references from this show because we had Billy Mitchell on this show as well. Mm-hmm. So William yep. Cat, Billy Mitchell, nice dueling yeah. decades slash poop culture tie-ins, Joe. Hey, baby. What am I if not a dueling decades slash poop culture tie-in? <laughs> Good stuff. All right. So those are my two. All right. Over for the final verdict to our judge, Eric Lully. What do you got for the hot products round? You guys made this very hard. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the exception of the movies category, the, the, I've had to actually think these through quite a bit. Um, I'm actually going to go with 98 because of Viagra. I think wow. it's... Wow. All right. It was the hardest thing I had to do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the launch of iMac and uh, versus PC, they almost canceled each other out. And then Viagra versus Donkey Kong. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. All the guys played playing uh, Donkey Kong are now on Viagra. Yeah. Well, and also, anybody who takes a Viagra follows up by saying, it's on like Donkey Kong. There you go. So they tie in very well. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'll give that to one to 98. All right. Not too shabby. Yeah, I think that one was a a total mercy gimme right there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I deserve that one because, you know, Donkey Kong's huge. So, yeah, yeah, that's a great pick, Joe. 
but yeah, thank you. Your stuff was not it was not insignificant in any way. <laughs> well, sorry, jewelers. I guess the winning streak does not carry on, and the bad news yeah. is that Mark James loses once again. But don't worry, uh. jewelers. You can always go back and check out all of our other episodes at DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to our show on Spotify. You can subscribe to it on iTunes. And while you're subscribing to shows, go ahead and subscribe to Miscast Commentary. Are you still just doing the one? Because you were doing two. Yeah. I was I was doing two for a little bit. We, we're still doing the YouTube stuff, just not very uh, frequently. Okay. Uh, we, we're we producing some stuff. I have some new YouTube stuff that's going to be coming out very shortly because I got a gift that was a Cards Against Star Wars, which came from China. So the uh, the con- the uh, grammar and syntax and spelling made it very funny, and I'm going to be doing a little coverage of the cards I found in there. Nice. Uh, but aside from that, yeah, Miss Cat's commentary is still my baby, and we are starting out 2020 strong, and we're going to be nailing a lot. Nail a lot more commentaries out there. So, yeah, come check us out and subscribe wherever you listen. All right, Duelers. Well, thank you very much for listening to all of our great episodes and making 2019 a great year for Dueling Decades. More to come in 2020. Eric Cluley was one of our top players this year on the Dueling Decades leaderboards. If you head over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, join our private group every day. We got trivia going on there. Right in our RSS feed, if you're listening to the podcast now, you'll see that we got weekly audio trivia all year long. Our first season just ended up. Our great competitor, Brian Moreno, won the championship this year. He actually beat out Eric, but Eric's here tonight as the judge. Eric, we're going to go down to you. How do you feel after this loss? Uh, Well, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> it was so neck and neck. It was you DJ and Brian, neck and neck, all the way to the end. For the last, like, six weeks straight, we were all within, like, 100 points, and then Brian just went back-to-back and won, like, 300 points, and I was like, ugh. Yeah, for such a long time, it was a toss-up. But, Duelers, if you haven't got in on it yet, all the scores have reset now. It's a brand-new game. We're going to crown a new champion next year. Uh, Brian Moreno this year, we actually he actually got a championship belt. We actually had one made. He'll be getting that in the mail shortly. Thanks again for listening and supporting our show. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.